you have to realize that that it's not just the thing you're doing, not just product in the sense of, well, just get it to the customer. It's like a team member. Dave Pryor, welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. Michael Grill is here, and we've been waiting a long time to do this interview. So, Michael, thank you for taking time out of your – it's afternoon for you, right? It is. Hi, Dave. Hey. Thanks for having me. Uh, and Michael works – he's got a very specific kind of job, which is one of the reasons we're doing this, because he's an expert in a field that I often struggle to speak to in class when people ask questions about it because I don't have a ton of experience in it. And he works for a company whose name I just found out I totally can't pronounce. So, <laughs> Michael, would you mind telling these fine people where you work and what you do? Of course. Of course. Um, yeah. So my name is Michael Grill, and I'm sure, um, as people can hear, I am from Austria. Um, I have a background in mechanical engineering, and I work for a company called Knorr Bremse, which is a German manufacturer of braking systems for rail and commercial vehicles. And, and yeah, I'm more specifically, I'm the product owner for brake magnets in the R&D department. Um, but I'm also the product owner of the Agile practice um, here at KBE. And yeah, I'm a big scrum and hardware and extreme manufacturing guy. And yeah, I'm very happy to be here. And I've been mispronouncing your name as well, so I apologize for that. Oh, no worries. No worries. I, can't, I can't roll my R's. I don't know what it is. It's just like it doesn't happen for me. Um, okay. So you're doing R&D with Break and Magnet. So that is even more, to me, more complicated. Like I, I get people in class who come from R&D, and they're like, I don't understand how I would do this in R&D. And I'm always like, I don't understand how you don't understand you're already doing this in R&D. Um, but R&D with hardware, that would, I mean, hardware adds complications when you're trying to do Agile, right? Yeah, totally. So, sure. what are, so what are some of the things like you initially found that got in the way? Well, um, maybe as a little backstory. So we were unhappy um, with how our R&D projects went, you know. It, it took us too long to get through the projects, Um um, to get prototypes going, get feedback from the customers, get to market. And so, and while we were still successful, it, we were just unhappy with how R&D was, you know, was working. And, and we ran all kinds of pilots and um, agile pilots and with our products. And, you know, we started with the classics, you know, product backlog, stable teams. We tried to get to working tested hardware in our case and, and and while that transformation showed great results, it wasn't the game changer that we were hoping for. You know, the, the, all the crazy stuff you can read on the internet, like twenty times faster than before, or you know, twenty times. Wow. <laughs> 20, yeah, I mean, and and it wasn't even you know the twice the work in half the time things. We were it was great. You know, it, it was more efficient, obviously, but it okay. wasn't the thing we were hoping for. And and I think. What we found out then at some point was that while, you know, the people and the teams were changing um, and, and, and working hard to follow all the rules or the rules um, 
that, that there are in Scrum, for example. Um, the one thing that wasn't really changing was our products and our product architectures. So we still had the same product. We were thinking the same way about all the architectures and everything. And that was just in conflict with our new ways of working. And yeah, and then after some time, you know, we ran all kinds of experiments with, with Scrum patterns and, and stuff like that. And then we, we really shifted our focus to a collection of principles and patterns that is called extreme manufacturing um, that helps you to create and adapt products quickly. It is created. It has been created by Joe Justice, um, who people might have heard of, um, the founder they, of Wikispeed. And if they, if they haven't heard of him, shame on them. They should go look. Yes, up. they should definitely check out his work. You know, um, he's also been responsible for Agile at Tesla and all all yeah. kinds of stuff. And yeah, and that was really what, what got us going in the right direction, I think. You know, we really thought about our products um, in, in a way like we were thinking about ourselves. You know, what, what do we have to change about ourselves to, you know, be successful with all those agile tools? And yeah, and I mean, what, well, what extreme manufacturing basically is, is like this mix of scrum organization with, you know, all the roles and responsibilities and okay. metrics and transparency and that stuff. Um, then extreme programming engineering principles like user stories and you know patterns okay. like pairing and swarming test room development and object oriented architecture so modular components and contract first design so maybe very software things I don't know okay but, but, you know we try to to bring that to our hardware world well I want I want to focus on you you mentioned a moment ago like that you started to talk about what you had to change in how you were approaching the work. Cause I find that that is something one, a lot of people don't natively do. They just look at, you know, whatever model they're of agile they're going to adopt. And they feel like that it's going to have to adapt to them. And I guess the parallel in software would be the idea of doing, you know, development design and the middle layer, each has a, a se separate sequential thing. Like they're all being built separately and then yeah. you put them all together and instead of creating that vertical slice. And that is a hard turn for people to make. And I'm wondering like, yeah. how did you, how did you on the hardware side, how did you get your head around the idea that everything that you've been taught about engineering was going to have to be different now? Well, it's also super hard, you know, as it is in software. Um, yeah, and it also it goes against a lot of things that you might have heard, like um, at university or, or I've heard in school or something like that, where you, you know, build a lot of parts that are like highly integrated, tightly coupled to like every part has 11 functions and, and, and all of that. And, and to think differently, you know, maybe to think in, in, in modules that are loosely coupled, you know, with stable interfaces, you know, um, so that you can work on modules in parallel, for example, you know, maybe you have one team working on module A, another team working on module B, you know, to, to completely rethink how you build up the product. Um, yet that has obviously been hard. But yeah, I don't know. I think, but on the other hand, this this rethinking of of the product architecture then finally helped us to to continuously integrate our product into like the the actual the trains or or even our manufacturing line. You know, because for example, we have now a very soon we have a fully automated manufacturing line. And okay. There, and you you can't just push any product 
into that line. So you have to think about, you know, known stable interfaces. Um, will this work? How, how can you keep the all the interfaces stable while still iterating on, you know, product functionality and the modules? So that 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 mind shift, I think, might have been the the biggest challenge that we're, I think, okay, still working on. So just conceptually from an interface standpoint, I want to try to explain what I think you mean and see if, if I have it right. So if I was designing a car, I might design it so that, you know, I could have 50 different models of my car, but the dashboard is always basically going to plug in the same way. So I can design a hundred different dashboards, exactly. but they always slot in the same, in the same way that if you have a Game Boy, the cartridge jack is always the same. Yes. Okay. That is exactly what it is, basically. Yeah. Okay. And then you could like for in a, like in a car, for example. I mean, you can you can work like forever on the perfect, I don't know, engine. But as long as you use all the same known stable interfaces, right? You will not stop the rest of the R and D process. You know. Why is it so I, I find that in software people struggle with this too and and I am not an engineer and I am not a developer, but that just seems like common sense to me and, and it I know that it is it's just like a big leap. Is it very different from what you're taught the way you're taught to think about things in school when you're studying engineering? It kinda is, you know, because yeah. I, I think there there are a couple of things at play here, but one thing I think is that the way you are taught things in school is that you have an idea, then you execute on the idea and you refine that maybe, and you work on the prototypes, but you st you're always working on the, on the whole thing, you know? So there is no modularization oh, okay. in play really. So you're always, you're, you're always working on, on, on the complete piece of art, you know? So that means um, that hardware has got to go through this exact same types of changes that, that software organizations. Yes. And, and then, Yes, and, and uh, you know the problem with working on the on the complete piece of art all the time is that that is very hard to you know grasp from a project management standpoint. You know when will we yeah. actually be finished? You know how we how we can how can we work in increments that that manage our risk? You know from a mm -hmm. just from a project standpoint, and and with the modularization, I have to say especially in the beginning, I mean, you, you might end up with a design that might not be as pretty or, you know, as, I don't know, as refined than, than what you could have done, but it is stable and you can iterate on stuff and you it's just also, you manage your risk. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. So is it, I guess from, from the creative side, is it, um, as enjoyable an experience, do you think? Well, I think I think it's a big. I mean, I mean, it's just a big change process. I mean, I think it's very enjoyable, and and, and you can, okay. and it, I think what it enables you to is, is to really focus on certain pieces of functionality um, without you having to worry about the rest of the machine, if you will, you know? Okay. So I can now really focus on module A and, and make it better and better and better. And I can, as, as long as I respect the interfaces, I can do whatever I want, basically, you know? And I can do all kinds of versions of that module with different pieces of functionality that might be interesting for different customers or different applications. But the, the, the whole thing will always work. 
Okay. That's important because that, that is also, uh, that is maybe a good segue. That is also how you could get to a point where you have working tested hardware after yeah. every sprint, you know? Okay. So the constraints are somewhat freeing in some ways and it's yeah. going to, it's going to allow you to reach that shippable state. Yeah. I think, I mean, if, if I think about the, uh, an R and D project in our case, like, like there is this, this, you go through phases and then the first phase it's, it's, I mean, we're not agile in phase one, for example, you know, because we're just, we're scrambling around, you know, we do a lot of research and everything. And, it, but we try to get to a point where we have this, you know, this vertical slice of functionality. So all the modules are far enough along that it is a fully functional breaking system, for example. Okay. And it's, it's, it's divided into modules with the non stable interface and, and then I can focus on different modules and different teams can focus on different modules. But, you know, if I have reached a certain point of product maturity, I will always have a fully functional break system. And that is, I think that's the point where you really get in the agile, you know, phase, you know, right. where I can really, you know, where, where even the customer can change requirements and everything. I will always end up with a, with a functional piece of hardware that I can put on a test bench or maybe even on a track and, and I can go like module by module, or I can release the whole thing. So, so that's kind of the, the idea. So in the same way that they would be doing maybe continuous integration or automated testing, so they can always be yes. deploying, you're always ready to release whatever version of the hardware you're on. Yes. And, and, and same goes for us, for example. So we're working yeah. now on automated testing and virtual testing. But okay. that is very hard if, if you cannot have, if there is not a some sort of like, set of rules or patterns, you know, where you can yeah. just um, maybe make the problem a little bit easier to work on. You know, if, if you always have to calculate the whole thing, you know, through you, everything has to go through finite uh, element analysis all the time. That is okay. super hard to do, almost impossible because you just won't have the resources. But if you can go through it like module by module or you, whatever, you know, then, then yeah. that becomes a possibility. And then you could actually talk about working tested hardware. Okay. So you're doing all this gathering of requirements up front or, or research or whatever it is. I mean, this is something where I would say to a software team, like the ones that say like, well, we don't do agile until we get to development. I'm like, crap, like that's not okay. But I guess for you, you've got to do some of that, some of that design engineering stuff before you start building hardware. Some, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Also, some of obviously some uh, to, to a certain degree. Also, some of the uh, requirements work, but uh, but we, we really try to limit it to the bare minimum, like the the must haves. You know, yeah, the, the, yeah. the things that just have to be in place to make it a thing. You know, regardless if it's coming from the customer or if it's some internal stuff, just for safety reasons or whatever it is. You know, okay. we really we try to have that set of requirements ready that is just standard. You know, and then you know then we. I mean, you know, if you go through a development through the development process, I mean, you also enable writing good and meaningful requirements, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we also try to do, you know. So we have our standard okay. set, we get going with that one, then, then you know, then we go from there. Now, I know you're doing extreme manufacturing. Do you have any of the traditional Scrum roles, like Scrum Master, Product Owner? Like, how does that whole thing work out with your teams? Of course. That is a, yes, of course we have. Okay. I mean, uh, so I'm the product owner of the Break Magnets team. And, and we have, yeah, a product owner, a development team, 
Scrum Master to all the it's 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 it is just a Scrum team. Okay, so you're doing all and the regular we, Scrum the, ceremonies and stuff yes. like that. Okay. Yes, absolutely, and it, 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 that Scrum team is part of, of a, a Scrum and Scale framework, and yeah, sure, okay, sure. So, so you you basically have to think about extreme manufacturing. That is our that is our set of print engineering principles. Sure, okay. So that is how we actually build the product. Okay, and I so know that in in JJ's book, he's got some case studies that kind of echo this too. About I forget, there's an airplane. Um, and I think Saab as well, maybe where they talk it's, about it's the Saab one, yes, the Saab yeah. Um yeah. Oh, it's okay. But how it, that modular thing, like we can plug and play these different things, and because the interface is the same, it allows that freedom. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, also for a product like we are, um, like we're making. I mean, that those those breaks are in the field for for a long time, actually, and and with with that kind of product architecture, we could also retrofit, you know, new pieces of functionality or, you know, it's important if you maybe would like to change stuff like friction materials, you know, all that okay. stuff. So there are a lot of benefits um, to be had. And, and um, yeah, uh, so, so uh, it's exactly the same with the fighter jets, but maybe a little less, you know, flashy. Okay. Okay. Well, what are the things for people that are listening? I mean, hopefully this is offering them some hope, especially if they work on the hardware side, that there are, there's stuff that they can do to try to adapt this. So, I mean, I would recommend checking out JJ's book just as sort of a reference source. Sure. Go to Joe Justice's website to learn about um, extreme manufacturing. I'll make sure we include a link to that. But what about adapting Scrum or getting your team to form? Like, what are the tips that you have that you've discovered? Like, these are elements that nobody told me we needed, but we actually really, really needed. Yeah, I think it's it goes back. We've, we've talked a couple of months ago about how to really get going with the Scrum team. And then what you said to me was, well, you shouldn't force all the rules and all the elements at once if it just doesn't come naturally and i think it's the same here so with the with the hardware transformation it's the same thing you should go maybe piece by piece and start small with changing you know because you have to change as much as you can also you know because you cannot just build a new factory probably and then you know um but but i think what added a lot of value um very quickly was you know starting with modularization you know so how could okay. we actually divide up our product and, and make it more suitable for this like sprint based cadence, you know? So I want to try to make sure that I'm clear on this parallel. So we talk, the company I work at, we talk a lot about decoupling, you know, br- breaking yeah. these dependencies so that I can just pull this piece out change it and then put it back in and everything will be fine. Um, that's the same thing you're talking about, right? We're pulling out the exactly. chip, yeah. we're putting it back in, it's still going to be good. Okay. Yes, but exactly. That's got to um, be kind of a hard switch for a lot of people too. That is hard, but that is also but but it's 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 so beneficial especially if you're starting out with a scrum team for example. I mean, so you start working on modularization of your product. Right. Um that obviously works very well with the the general idea of a product backlog. I okay. think you know, okay. because you, you're, you know, you have all the, the, the modules, if you will, you know, the backlog items. And so you, yeah. that, that, that kind of works, at least in my brain, you know, and um, 
And, and it's also, it gives you the chance to help yourself with like writing good sprint goals, for example, because okay. it's just a, it's, it's just the scope is just smaller because you're focusing on that one module. And then you, and you should also, you could, you should focus uh, on the interfaces, you know, how can we design the interfaces? How can maybe we have to even a little over-engineer the interfaces to make them stable, but, but how, how can we really loosely couple those modules so that we can go through them one by one or yeah. maybe, yeah, something like that. So that is, that is, I think that that was something that, that brought us along a lot, you know, that, that, that okay. was really helpful. And what about when you're having that conversation with management? Because if you're trying to transform your organization, I can see where an engineer might study what you've done and be like, oh my gosh, I totally get this. I'm, I'm in. But explaining it to management who, you know, traditional old school manufacturing would be as hard as traditional old school software. Of course. Yes. How do you get them to buy into it? Well, I mean, maybe you would have to go back to why we even thought about doing agile in hardware, you know? So obviously we wanted to deliver a technically superior product, you know, right. We wanted, right. Yeah. We had to reduce development cycles and create okay. value fast. Um, and we, we wanted and we needed to allow changes even late in the development process by the customer. So that was okay. super important. Um, but on, while we obviously were committed or are committed, obviously, to improving customer value, I mean, you also have to limit your risk and your increase in production costs, for example. So you right. want to limit non-recurring costs, like for tools and fixtures, quality costs, like for sampling inspections. Okay. Um, and you want stable production times, you know. So you need a standardized assembly process, for example, which is easier if you have, you know, no stable interfaces, stuff right. like that. Right. You want less rework and you want no variation of working speed. That is all easier if, if you have like this decoupled modularized thing. And um, yeah, at the end of the day, like I said, I mean, it, it's, it's about managing the risk, from not okay. just technically, but also economically. So, so that was a big thing, I think, for us um, on the maybe more on the management side. Being able to show them how you're managing risk and, and reducing yes, costs. Yes, yes, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, before this we had those you, you have those R and D projects that are going on for years maybe and 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 you're while you're obviously delivering results, but but now you can basically sprint after sprint, look at, at the project and, and get a feel for where you're going. Okay. Now did you encounter and you don't have to answer this one if you don't want to if it's gonna cause political trouble, but I'm wondering if there were pockets of resistance like i know when i was pushed into agile i didn't want to do it and i fought it really hard and i kind of championed a campaign against it um does that happen in hardware too of course i mean sure i mean you, you almost would have to be more specific do you mean against agile transformation in general <laughs> or, or against you personally i mean it's just i mean it's just it's just natural and and yeah. with that engineering stuff as well it's even for me and i, I i'd say i'm you know I, I bought into this. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm really, um, I'm really focused on this um, and committed, but, but still I, I can feel that, that, you know, in certain situations, I think oh, maybe, I don't know, this just seems like so much extra work. Is it really worth it? And well, what do we really gain with that? Of course, you know, and then, then you face those, you know, critical voices. It is super important, you know, to also hear them and work with them because, you know, you know, I think it's always important to give everything the 
a chance a chance and then the yeah. last sniff you know if it's really if it really makes sense so yeah of course but okay yeah. what what hasn't worked is there any aspect of you know scrum or xp or I don't know if you've tried any Kanban related stuff, but any, did, I'm yeah. curious about what, what was just like, wah, wah. Oh, that's a good question. I, I mean, there is still a lot of stuff that we have to do better. I mean, we're right in the middle of this, you know, we're far from, okay. from, from like finished, whatever that means with agile transformation. But, um, um, I think what was, I think modularization can still be tricky. I think the thing we're struggling with the most is to get iterations of our product to the customer and get feedback directly from the customer because it's just not something you, it's just not usual in that, that industry, you know? Well, I would imagine too, if like I, if, if I was a municipality running a line of high speed trains and you were like, Hey, uh, this Friday, we're going to bring you some brand new brake pads, just swap them out and we'll see what happens. I don't know if I'd be too psyched about that. Yeah. Because I got passengers that I I would like to live. Right. I mean, the risk is high. Yes, absolutely. No, this, this stuff has to work. I mean, no question. Um, But there is, I mean, also with scrum, I mean, like having a, a working increment after every sprint, that is still a challenge, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So I'd say with that, especially with that combined with the, the, test-driven development approach, you know, to have like a test ready and that test is working on, that's just working to agree degree where we have like this working piece of hardware and increment right. after every sprint. That is still the, the, the biggest challenge. For sure. Okay. And I guess my example was maybe a bad one. You're not going to be putting a brand new iteration onto a train being ridden by pedestrian, you know, by by the public, you're going to be testing it out somewhere and then eventually it would find its way onto a finished product. Sure. Okay. Sure. Of course. Yeah. All right. Well, what do you, what is it that people would need to know? Or what do you, what do you wish somebody had told you before you headed down this path? Um, I think we should have started with thinking about our product and products and the, the portfolio earlier. Okay. Um, I, I think we had probably some, I wouldn't say underwhelming, but um, I think some of our agile pilots could have been could have benefited from that a lot. You know, I think you have to just realize that if you're if you're working in hardware um, and 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 you would like to go agile, which is great. That I think you should realize that if you really want to um, take the full advantage of it, then then you almost will have to work on your on, on product architectures as well. You know. Product is like a team member, ah, as I said okay. in the beginning. It is really you have to realize that that it's not just the thing you're doing. Basically, it's, it's not just product in the sense of well, just get it to the customer. Right. But it's 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 like a team member. It will, you know, it, it will be a problem and a hassle forever if you not if you're not thinking about changing stuff. Cool. For real. Okay. This was great. Well, what if people want to um, reach out to you to get more information about this? Well, people can, I think the best way would probably uh, over LinkedIn. Okay. Um, again, my name is Michael Grill. I work for Knorrbremse in Austria. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. People can just hit me up. Okay. Happy to talk about agile and hardware all the time. 
And you are also championing, I mean, I, 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 we haven't really talked about it, but you're leading up the effort at work. And, and I know you're a big promoter and I do, podcasts yeah. and stuff like that internally. Um, how, how important, maybe if you, if you don't mind, before we go, could you talk a little bit about that and how important that has been to your ability to like get your head around this stuff and feel good about it and stay motivated with it? Um, you mean why I'm basically, I'm pushing the, the agile transformation that Yeah. Why you're like the agile champion at your company? Like what, how did um, that happen and, and what does it do for you? Well, it, that's, that's a really good question because that just happened. So as I said, I have a background in mechanical engineering and, and I always wanted to build stuff, you know, okay. come up with those, with obviously great ideas and then build stuff. And and then, you, you know, you leave university, you start uh, at your first job, and then, then you very quickly realize that most of the times you're not really building stuff, you know? Okay. Um, so, so you're sitting in front of the computer and you have all those concepts, and then it's, it's it, it, at least where I worked in the past. So it wasn't enough about actually building stuff for me. And right. and then at, at, at KB, we're... I mean, we're actually doing a lot of prototypes and, and stuff and a lot of testing, but, but still, you know, we were unhappy with, you know, how frequently that happened and how long it took us to get there. And, and then actually my boss approached me about um, changing our ways of working, you know? Okay. And he, he asked me what I, what I think uh, about Scrum. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I've heard of this, you know, sounds, sounds great. And and then we started a pilot, um, like I think it was like five years ago now. Um, and and then I totally got into this. You know, I re- read a ton of stuff, every book I could get my hands on, and I uh, got super excited about this. And then I thought, well, I, I want to, I want to, I don't, I, I kind of want to see this through. And then, um, yeah, I thought about the certification. You know, found a great Scrum training. Um, <laughs> <laughs> amazing i can only recommend it it's um you you guys should definitely check it out dave Pryor is running those courses, those, those courses. <laughs> it was that and, was that was a, one of the funnier moments in class i think you were probably one of the first people that i had that had come like from europe to the united states and you were like you told me where you're from like what why are you here? <laughs> like, it's nice, sure. but why would you do sure, that? Sure. Yeah, I don't know. It was it was that that whole You're on I mean, vacation company now. you work with. No, no, no. It was the company you work with. Um, that that the model that they were presenting, and that was just a, oh, okay, perfect, okay, perfectly. And yeah, and then what can I say? I mean, for real. I mean, after day one in class, I knew that this that's it. You know that that's what we should do. That that's how I want to do it. You know, okay. That, that whole scrum thing. That's, that's how we should do it. That's how we should do our R and D projects. And probably that's how we should do it at the company as a whole. And yeah. And then I was part of all those, all the following pilots and, and I really got more and more into this topic and, and yeah, I can't get out of it, you know? And then I think it works perfectly with also with hardware and, and, and I've, I've, I've seen us and I, I can see us every day get better and then um, have a lot of fun while we're doing it. So, yeah. Okay. So I have sort of one last random question about this. Um, sure. When people go through this process, it's really hard. Um, it's hard on a personal level to like completely shift the way you think about everything, but it's also hard in a company when you're the champion of it, because you're going to meet resistance. People are going to fight you on it. They're going to push back. Um, how did you or how do you 
restore yourself when that happens? I mean, do you have like a particular thing that you do or a person that you call or? I do. I, I, this is also a good question. I do have a network, you know, to, okay. to rely on when, when that happens, especially, you know, when, when people push back, like, hard you know and, and yeah. also and then, then then they might have good arguments you know as well and then, then it, gets, <laughs> it might be right gets, and you're like god just, damn it just get, yeah <laughs> just gets worse right um but but yeah but i i truly believe in it and i and the, i think the very cool thing about like scrum but also kanban and then those methods is, i mean like this is empirical process management right right and so if you're if you're doing it right or somewhat right, um, you will have the data to prove it. And even if it's just for proving it to yourself, you know, that this actually works. Yeah. And, and I like that. And I like this, the, the, I mean, not the spirit, but the, the, that, that constant experimenting mode you're in, you know? So, yeah. all right. So that failed. That didn't, that didn't do it for, for the people. So let's One more try way not to build else, a light bulb. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You Absolutely. just keep trying until you get it. Exactly. Yes. And, and, yeah, I, I guess that's it, you know. Okay. So people should develop and I mean I, I recommend this to people too. Like you need you need to find people you can reach out to when you're broken. And you need to find them, yeah. have them ready before you're broken. Because you're gonna be broken. It's got it happens to all of us. We all have days where we leave and we're like, I suck. And for sure. You need people yes. that can fix you. Cool. Absolutely for sure. And I mean right before we, we started changing the products and stuff, I was also I mean I was I was even questioning myself and maybe it's just really not that the thing, you know, yeah. for us. But, but yeah, I think it's important, you know, to really cool. have people around you that, that support you and help you through those valleys. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you doing this. So for anybody who's listening, if you're working in hardware, you can do all this stuff. People often want case studies. I'm going to actually point them at this podcast from now on. Um, and we've got your contact info so they can all harass you separately. So thank you very much for oh, taking time out for this. Well, thank you so much. This was, this was amazing. Thank this you, This was Dave. fun. If you learn to work the old way, but the new way is what you need. My job's to make that switch from old to new. Suddenly, 